Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to The Visible Artist. My name is Sophie Loxton-Lucas and I'm excited to bring you the second ever episode. I travelled down to Leicester to see the painter Tim Fowler in his studio and spent an afternoon meeting the other studio holders and of course chatting to Tim about his work and his practice. He is so open and generous with his advice on how he has discovered opportunities in the art world. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation and find it useful. Hi and welcome to today's episode. I am currently sitting in the studio of Leicester-based artist Tim Fowler and it is so wonderful to be here surrounded by his paintings. Everything about Tim's style feels bold, expressive and confident. The large scale of his canvases, the big features and the choice of intensely bright colours. Whether Tim is painting architectural structures, portraits or botanical subject matter, each work feels like a joyful experiment of colour, form and texture. He uses a variety of media, including oil, acrylic, spray and graffiti inks to add abstract fragments, broken lines and impulsive marks, all of which gives his work a lively, expressive feel. But however spontaneous the work appears, Tim is very deliberate about his choice of bright, sometimes fluorescent hues, and each juxtaposition is created and balanced very carefully. With such a bold, recognisable signature style, it is not surprising that Tim's work is so celebrated. He has recently had solo shows in London and Leicester, both supported by the Arts Council. He is represented by several galleries. He has exhibited at the other art fair in London and New York. He was interviewed by Sky News about his NFT Skull project, featured as a highlight artist on Channel 4's Flawless, and often has private commissions for clients on the go. And most recently, he's worked on a particularly exciting residency project titled Provenance at the Victoria Pumping Station in Hampton, London. So I really can't wait to hear more about this. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me in your studio. Thanks for the introduction. (laughs) That was great. Yeah, it's always quite strange reading that with the artist sitting in front of me. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like, I forget a lot of the stuff I've done. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. Like a little sense of uh, accomplishment, you know? Yeah, it's probably quite a good exercise. Maybe write your own introduction from time to time as a boost. (laughs) Yeah, because often, you know, I'm constantly looking to the next project. So as soon as I've done something, it's pushed to the back of my head. So it's nice to to hear it out loud again. Yes, well, it's really lovely to be in your studio. It's such a bright, airy space and... The, there are walls dividing the studios, of course, but they're not right to the ceiling, so you can see the other artist studios and just has that real community feel. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the benefits of being in Leicester is it had such a huge textile history. There's a lot of these old big factories that are just kind of sitting empty and you can get them for 
you know, fairly cheap. And like you said, they've got the big windows, the high ceilings, the natural light, which is, you know, it's all perfect for me. Mm. And how long have you been here? I have been here coming up to five years now. I moved in when I heard about the space opening up. I was at a, another studio and I initially came just to check it out, just to be nosy, to be honest, to see who the new <laughs> kids on the block were. I knew a couple of the artists moving in and um, I loved the space and just, yeah, just went for it. felt like a change. Mm. Not looked back since. And you've expanded your your own area in the in the building. <laughs> yeah, it's become a little bit of a, a bit of a labyrinth now. So I started out with a, a good size space when I first moved in for the first few, few years, and then as more and more projects came up and my work was more in demand, bigger pieces. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to extend it. I built some storage. It's still fairly messy, as you can see, you know. But that's just <laughs> it's just how I work. To be honest, there is. There is organisation in there, but yeah, you, you've often got to climb over stuff to get around. But <laughs> that's part of it. Yes, it's um, it's great to be here because having worked on the fairs for quite a few years now, I've noticed there's been this group of Leicester artists that keep cropping up, and yep, yep. now I realise that you're all here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a there's another three, four artists here that uh, you know that do regularly do the other art fair as well. Mm. So it helps with feedback um you know tips just discussing ideas logistics we share vans to take the work down um and that to be honest that's part of why i enjoy being in a kind of communal space like mm. i've got space to paint at home but i would go mad on my own in a studio so so yeah it, it helps me out a lot yes yeah so you work do you do all your painting here or do you do some at home as well no, I I do it all here. Um, I recently had to to get a temporary uh, extra studio space because I had a really big nine meter commission to do, and I just couldn't do it in here. I would have preferred to do it in here, but you know I just couldn't do it for the space. But no, apart from that, it's all here. Um, I've tried to work at home in the past as well, but to be honest, dragging the materials back and forth, and I've got two young daughters, twin girls, six years old, so it's not worth. It's not worth the stress of trying to do anything at home, you know. Yes, and also I imagine that it enables you to really focus when you come here and be cut off from the rest of the chaos of your life, potential chaos, I don't want to assume. (laughs) I mean, it it just makes it feel more professional, like a job. Like, you know, I get up, I do the school run, and then I come to work, you know, even Mm if I'm still in the same dirty, painty joggers that I'm always wearing, (laughs) You know, it feels like as soon as I step through that door, make myself my morning coffee and plan out the day, you know, it's a, it's a job. Um, mm. If I was at home, there's too many distractions, like you said, and it's getting into that right mind frame of, right, home time's left, professional painting time now. Yes, and you mentioned the divide between home and work life, but even within your practice and your professional work, there's so, there seems to be a lot going on. So it must be hard balancing commissions for clients, making your own work, showing at fairs. This seems to be a lot. A lot yeah. Um, part of it is just, it's natural to me that I work at a high pace, you know. Um, I'm always like, whenever people ask me, oh, you seem so busy. I'm like, yeah, I'm so busy. But then <laughs> I feel like I make myself busy. Like I feel if I wasn't busy, I would struggle, you know. I've got a a fairly short attention span so rather than trying to fight those kind of traits I kind of embrace them so I work on a number of paintings at the same time so if I get bored of something which I generally do 
I can just switch to something else. And it's the same idea with projects, you know, if I've constantly got something I'm working towards, then I just feel, I feel motivated all the time. I always refer to it as gears in a car. Like when I'm talking to other artists here, like I'd be like, right, I'm in, I'm in fourth now. Soon I'm going to go into fifth. <laughs> After Christmas, you know, I'll go back down to one and it'll be a slower pace and I'll build it up. But but generally, it's, it's, it's simply because I like to work at that pace. I like to keep busy and I'm curious. I like to do different projects and, and just see what happens with it, you know, not overthink it. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the picture of the enormous artwork, the commission that you did, the nine metre yeah, work yeah. on your Instagram. I mean, it just looks incredible. How was that experience? That was, um, that was really intense, like intense in a great way. Um, I'd put my name forward for the project through Rise Art, which is an online gallery I've been with since uh, since I graduated. It's one of the first kind of ones I came across. Um, so yeah, I knew I was in the in the maybe pile. Um, I didn't know much about the project, only the size. And then uh, yeah, I got the course saying I'd, I'd got it. I went to meet the team. Um, and then it kind of dawned on me how big nine meters was, <laughs> and I'm I'm fairly I'm fairly confident in my own ability, almost like overconfident, I'd say. You know, I'm almost a bit deluded of what I can do. Um, but the time frame was really short, so I probably had a month. And the painting was fine. I enjoyed that. I loved the painting. The hardest thing was the logistics. I had to physically make a nine meter by two and a half meter canvas knowing that I was going to have to take the whole thing apart and transport it to the building, which was the 17th floor of a skyscraper, rebuild the stretcher and then restretch the canvas and then hang the hang the whole piece. So that was probably the biggest uh, weight on my mind throughout. Mm. The painting was... When you do something that big and there's that much pressure on it, it's best, if you can, just to not think of it and just paint from the gut and just... You know, yeah. I, I say to myself, Tim, you, you can do this. You know, you can paint. That's what you do. Um, push all the doubt to the back of your head and just and just do it. So, so overall, it was it was an amazing project. You know. So you got the work into the space, and then you had to face these canvases and just start painting. Yeah. So I painted them at a separate studio. Um, so yeah, built the built the stretchers, stretched them myself, which was <laughs> that was a. That was a struggle in itself. Um, but luckily, I'd just done a recent residency where I'd been painting big anyway. So I was used to stretching three, five, four, five-meter canvases anyway. So, you know, I had the, the technique down. Um, but yeah, yeah, just the whole taking it apart and re-stretching it and rebuilding it, which is something I've done before when I've shown in New York and L.A., but only on a small scale. Mm-hmm. And there's things like, you know, lining the painting back up evenly, um, stretching it tight again you know you don't want it all baggy and yeah, sagging and not on the straight so it was tough but it to be honest it went really smooth i had a had some good people helping me um the company were really uh relaxed you know That's they good. didn't put any pressure on me mm-hmm. i told them my ideas of what i wanted to paint they loved the idea and they just left me to it you know they came to visit halfway through but apart from that yeah they just let me let me have full control that's fantastic and I was going to ask you about that because looking at the piece it's very much in your signature style and you almost wouldn't guess that it was a commission it Mm. just looks like one of your works yeah 
So they just gave you full creative freedom? Yeah. Again, I was I was lucky that the team was so understanding because the botanical stuff was obviously the the focus, my current focus now and the focus then. And um, I'd recently taken a trip to Kew Gardens mm-hmm. <clears throat> before I knew I was getting the commission. So I'd taken loads of research photos from all the different greenhouses and stuff. And um, yeah, basically just pitched my idea. I was like, look, this is what I'm doing at the moment. The fact it's this steel glass building in the center of Birmingham, very urban. And, and this is almost like a, a botanical house in the actual building itself. And yeah, they just love the idea. They know the thing is with me, like, like you said, because I've got such a recognizable style and colors, people know what they're going to get. Like, yeah. I always say that if you're going to, if you want me to, if you want to commission me to do something, that's fine. But understand it's probably going to be pink or it's going to have certain <laughs> yeah. colors in it and it's going to be this kind of style um and yeah and like i said they were understanding and um and that helped a lot if they if they'd been really you know some people might have their own idea of what they want and if they try and push me in that direction and then i'm stressing about second guessing my own opinions of what they want then it's, sometimes it, it's shown in the work and you can see that the confidence is confidence isn't quite there Yes, it's interesting you say that because your works are definitely, they definitely feel very confident. And I know that lots of artists are often torn with commissions. With um, Often the client says they like the style, but actually, or not even a client, that sounds quite a serious term. Sometimes it's just an enthusiastic art buyer mm. loves the style, but actually has quite <clears throat> a different idea of what they want it to look like. And yeah. puts the artist in a very difficult position. Definitely. I mean, I speak to a lot of other artists generally about commissions and just, you know, business side of art in general. And I think no matter what commission you're doing, even if they're giving you total freedom, there's always that element of pressure. You know, you're always thinking, well, I like this mark or I'm going to do this, but what did mm-hmm. they say again? What was in the brief or the email? Yeah. And I've been lucky. I've done loads of commissions over the years, especially when I was doing the portraits and um, people always generally um, understanding you know, often make changes if people want a few changes, but overall, you know, it's always been smooth. But yeah, for artists in general, I think they'd all agree that commissions are unnecessary, kind of in terms of financial gain, obviously. But yeah. there's there's a lot higher stress involved. Yes, yeah, I can imagine. And it's interesting you talk about all the other side of it as well, like having to stretch the canvases and get them up mm. to the space. I think those logistics make it and um, some artists really struggle with that and yeah um something doing something like the other art fair is a real challenge from that side of things yeah. particularly overseas <laughs> but also that was um a great practice for me you know like i said when i showed with you guys in new york and la that was my um that's how i got the work out there i unstretched it all took the canvases apart i'd not done it before got out there reassembled everything it was obviously a smaller scale and but it worked and it was a good test and now whenever I speak to other artists I get a lot of other UK artists who ask me about the international fairs mm-hmm. and um, they ask about how I got the work over and you know I'm very open about everything I do try and help people out where I can I just share the advice so in general how did you find showing in New York and LA and was it a similar experience there was the same audiences same work that you took over or was it very different I think New York was more different because it was it was the first one I did. So I didn't really know what to expect. It was the first time, like I said, I'd, I'd re-stretched the work over there, had a few issues with uh, the stretcher sizes, so the bars didn't quite fit. So I was sawing pieces <laughs> off to try and make it fit. 
But now overall, I love the American fairs. Uh, everything's bigger out there, so it feels like there's more space. And it was it's, it's the feedback I like as well. Obviously, sales is a big part of it, but also it's the feedback, and not just the feedback on a new series of work or just my work in general, but testing the waters in the US. That's what I was very curious about is I've been trying to break into the US for a while now, mm-hmm. and that was my that was my route, you know. Um, the other art fairs obviously guaranteed thousands of people coming through, even if they don't know who I am. So, so yeah, it was a great experience. LA was a, a little bit more, I felt more relaxed because like I said, I'd done it before. I corrected issues like the stretchers. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't have any problems on that that side of things. And my work was definitely very suited to LA, yes, um, which people always say that. to me, you know, the colors, you should go to LA, you should go to Miami. <laughs> and um, yeah, I really felt that, you know, it's... It's sunny over there. Everyone's happy and cheerful, and they're drawn to the drawn to the colours of the work. So mm. I'd be keen to go back to New York just to, you know, change things I did last time. Um, also, now I'm doing the botanical work is very different from the portrait work, and a lot of issues I was coming up with with the portrait work is um, people would really love my style and the colours, but then it might be a certain person I've chose to paint that they don't want in the house, you know, yes. say I've done Muhammad Ali or whoever. They're like, I love that. And it's perfect, the colors, but I don't want Muhammad Ali hanging on my wall, which is understandable. So <laughs> that was a barrier, I, you know, I kept coming up against. Um, so I'd be quite keen to try both the US fairs again, well, LA, New York, with my new botanical series and and see see how it goes. Yes. Oh, well, that would be really exciting. I mean, certainly in the US, the fairs, there's a lot more space. Yeah. And yeah, it's exciting definitely. to be able to be able present large canvases mm. um and how did you find the conversations with the buyers say in brooklyn were they quite different from the buyers in london um i think the americans it seems like there's less small talk if they're not interested i think the english maybe are very polite so even if they don't like the work massively they feel like they need to stop and talk about it which is fine <laughs> you know you get the feedback america i found like if people didn't like the work, they'd just kind of walk past the stand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'd still be friendly, they'd smile, say hi, but, you know, it was, any conversation was a bit more focused, a bit more serious. So that was probably quite handy yeah, for you yeah, as it, an it, artist. It was interesting, and yeah, it was, it was, it made things easier. I mean, you know what it's like, you do a lot of talk at these fairs, and um, you're tired, you're stressed from, you know, the initial hang, Uh but yeah, it was it was more just a learning experience for me, and that's that's why I wanted to go out there. You know, I wasn't really expecting to make massive profit. You know, with all the cost of flights and everything else, I wanted to test the waters, test the market, and just try and build up my name over there, build up my profile. Do you enjoy that side of presenting your work, talking to an audience whilst you're standing in front of the pieces, or would you prefer someone else to do that in a gallery setting? No, I, I quite enjoy it. Um, it's nice to have both options because you can't always do everything yourself, especially now my time is becoming more and more precious, you know, due to children, just general workload. But no, I was always like, I'm a social person anyway. I like to, I like to get the feedback. I like to see which pieces are catching people's eye and mm. you know, why. Um, and also everyone has their own opinion on art, which is what I like about it. You know, it's obviously subjective. So a lot of people will pick out little details, but oh, I like this bit, and I'm like, oh, I didn't really notice that, or 
I like the way you've done this and it might be intentional, it might be something that's just happened and I've left, but um, it's all valuable, you know. You don't want to let it control your practice too much, like say I took a piece to a fair and it sold and something else didn't. I try to, you know, not let that affect me. You know, I don't want to start producing loads of these paintings just because that one sold at this fair and this one didn't, so automatically this must be a bad painting, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just taking the feedback but understanding that everyone's got their own opinion. And of course, there's that element of some work being more accessible, so it will be more popular when you have thousands of people coming through a fair. Yeah. It might draw in more people, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the strongest piece. Yeah, and the perfect example I always used to talk about was the Frida Kahlo painting I did. You know, I sold it, sold out all my prints. Always really popular because people love Frida. Um, They've not seen her painted in my style. But yeah, it doesn't mean that that's the stronger painting. It means that she's the most iconic figure and this was a this was another issue i had with the kind of portraits and the celebrity portraits um and you know another kind of issue almost like a barrier that i felt that i was it was stopping me from evolving or getting to that next level well the great thing about residencies is they often enable artists to really explore their practice and push their practice And that brings us on to one of my questions I had for you about your recent residency at the Victorian Pumping House. Could you tell me more about that? It looks like an amazing project. That was that was mind blowing. That was the greatest (laughs) thing I've ever done to date by far. And um, I was at a point where I thought I'd missed out on the whole residency um, route, you know, Mm. whatever, because of the children. You know, I didn't want to take out three weeks you know say to my wife look you've got to take the girls for x amount of time so i thought you know i'll have to just hold on till they're older blah 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 and then um this came about and it's not an it wasn't an official residency that anyone could apply for that's ongoing it came about because the director of our studio studio name uh, Stephen Albert, he used to work for a guy who's a lawyer and this lawyer works for touchlight genetics which are the genetics company that own the building so that's how I was loosely introduced to them. Um, they started buying my work over a few years. They liked my style. And then I did a <clears throat> an arts council um, project, which is quite close to the start of my botanical theme. And uh, yes, yeah, so I also did this DNA test. So I'm, I'm kind of going back a bit, but it will explain why, yeah. why it makes sense for the DNA company. So I did this DNA test um, just out of curiosity, expecting the Caribbean islands, Barbados to come up. Cause that's where my mum's side's from. Um, but the Caribbean's too young for that. So it's all pre slavery country. So i got the sheet back and I knew about slavery, but I didn't really, I was never overly interested in it. And, um, it had all these West African countries. So that set me on this path of looking into migratory crops, cash crops, um, you know, sugar cane, banana plants, cotton, tobacco, coffee, so when um, Touchlight heard about this DNA starting point, it fits in perfectly with their company. And they had this massive space. They knew that I was keen to work bigger and bigger. And um, they basically got together with Steve and offered me the building for three weeks. So it meant I could go down there and just fully immerse myself in the project, do some really big work, you know, four meters, five meters. Uh, did about seven pieces in the end. And... Yeah, it was amazing. Um, I'd get up, work for like 12 hours, go back, 
look at the photos I've taken, think about the work, go back the next day and do the same thing again. And this was just coming to the end of COVID and lockdown. So a lot of artists were forced to hibernate almost. So for me to come out on Instagram and whatever and be doing this massive project, these massive yeah. paintings, it just, it just went down really well. Yeah, it's just a great experience. It sounds like it was an incredibly immer- immersive experience, as residencies often are, both physically and mentally. It's really exploring your practice and your personal history. and it, Just an incredible experience. Yeah, I mean, again, it was overwhelming because of the size of the work I wanted to create. I did this all on my own. I didn't have any... I planned to get an assistant. I just didn't get around to it. So I had to build these massive canvases on my own, again, out of the timber, you know, cut them down, screw them together, stretch the canvas, prime the canvas. And um, so it was tough and really physical at the start. The first few days, I remember feeling like I'd been hit by a car, like my whole body was just aching. And I was at a couple of moments of doubt where I was just like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, I can't do this now. But again, you know, you just got to push those voices to the back of your head and just be like, look, I've got to do it. There's no other way now. And um, as soon as I got that first bit of paint on the canvas, I just felt like whew, I could breathe. And it just, it just, it was just fun after that, relaxing. Maybe not relaxing, but <laughs> fun, fun. In hindsight, it was relaxing. Yeah, now really. I'm sitting here and I've done it. It feels relaxing. <laughs> but at the time, it was tough, you know. Mm. But it was a great experience, again, because it was a DNA company. And this is like cutting edge biotechnical um, uh, clean DNA. They were heavily involved in uh, making the the vaccines for COVID. You know, making the clean DNA to send out to these companies. Oh yes, wow! So I had all these scientists, like, and these are like everyone's international, different countries, PhD, super clever, um, coming in to look at the work, you know, and and then bringing me into the labs, and you know, I'm putting all the white lab coats on, and they're showing me different cancer cells and all the different sections wow. of DNA. And Johnny, the kind of the owner, he was very keen to have his kind of scientific staff introduced to art. And and I would thought they were two were like totally different to me. But he was like, no, it's that same thinking outside the box, that same creativity, like the way a scientist is researching. They've got to think outside the box to to develop whatever it is they're developing, you know. So that was something that was it was unexpected. But it turned out really well and it was really interesting. And has it influenced your practice after the project? You know, you'll go in a slightly different direction or explore something new because of the residency? Or is it a sort of self-contained project? Um, I definitely learn a lot. I want to continue with a lot of aspects of it. The problem with doing the residency was because of COVID and because of the nature of the company, I couldn't bring people to the show. Mm. So I would have loved to have actually had an exhibition at the end. A lot of people messaging me like, can I see this work? I managed to sneak uh, Benjamin Murphy in from Delphian Gallery, and he's an artist as well. And uh, it was great to talk to him because he's very intelligent. And just running through the concept with him and just talking about how I got to that point. But yeah, I'd love to continue to, one, work at that size, and two, move the project to a, you know, an actual gallery space where people can come and see you know and see the scale of it because you can see on instagram and you can see me standing next to it but until you see it in the flesh with the colors like it's 
something different. Yes, it must be quite an... As I, I used the word immersive before for you as the artist, but also for the viewer to stand in front of it. Yeah, and that was what was exciting as well because, again, it was an active building site. There was builders that have never been interested in art. <laughs> they'll come in, and at the start, they didn't really know what I was doing. I don't think they were really told. And they're like, what, are you painting the walls? I was like, no, I'm an artist. I'm like, okay. And then once I started making the canvases, more and more of them started coming more regularly. So... Um, I'd come in in the morning sometimes and the builders would already be there and they'd all be looking at the paintings. And, <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And again, it's it's introducing people that wouldn't normally care about the art world. You know, the art world's got this um, label of being snobby and you've, you have to be really intelligent and have an art degree to go to a gallery and seeing these just normal builders that are there to do their job, but they're like part of the whole process from start to finish. You know, it was really, again, something that wasn't part of the initial plan, but it just turned out, it's really nice. And you mentioned that they thought you were build, you were painting on walls. Yeah, but yeah. In some ways, your work does have some hints of like street art because you work with the graffiti yeah. inks and the spray, and it's got that kind of feel. Do you feel connected to that scene, or um, not really? I've never classed myself as a street artist simply because I've never painted on the street. Yeah. Um, but it's always been a a massive influence from. Um, from when I was studying, you know, um, I studied in Sheffield. There's a few kind of Sheffield street artists there, Flem, Kid Acne. So I'd see their work around and it was the colours. The colours are the main thing that drew me into street art. A lot of it's very similar, very bright, very impactful. Um, but I just didn't really have the urge to, to try painting on the street. And I didn't want to do it for the sake of all oh, street arts becoming more popular with the, yes. the mainstream art world and, you know, almost jumping on the bandwagon for the sake of it. And also I'm scared of heights. So, <laughs> so that would be an issue. Um, so yeah, I'm always going to draw influence from it. You know, I regularly go to the local graffiti shop, Graph HQ, and they tell me about different inks and stuff that I've never seen before that graffiti guys use. And I, you know, I take them back and try them out. So yeah, there's always going to be influence there, but yeah, I don't class myself as a street artist. Moving on to your solo shows in Leicester and London, could you tell me more about those? And I saw that they were supported by the Arts Council. I was wondering how that came about. The first Leicester Arts Council show they called Plantation was basically a few months before my residency. So a lot of that work stemmed from that idea. So again, it's the DNA test. The Arts Council is something that I've, I've been aware of for years and they've supported a previous project I did uh, maybe three years ago now. Initially, it was another artist that told me about it. She was like, look, Tim, you're ticking a lot of boxes. You do so much. You pay for it all yourself. You work, you do all this. You should try and get a a grant from the Arts Council. And, you know, it's a lot of paperwork, but it's an amazing opportunity for any artist. And I say this, any artist I meet, I say, look, look at it. Look at the Arts Council, look into it. And um, it's a bit of paperwork, but basically you have an idea for a project, exhibition, whatever it is. You put your idea forward, you know, you have to plan out your finances, timescale, you have to really think about it, you know, they don't just give out the money, but um, it's supported by the National Lottery and you can get up to £15,000, which is a grant, you know, you don't have to pay it back, you've got to account for the money, obviously, but it means that artists can be ambitious and do projects which they might not normally have the opportunity to do, whether it's financially or time or whatever else, so it meant that I could afford to spend more time researching pay for more materials 
just gives you a lot more freedom as well. The project, the exhibition was called Plantation. So again, it was around the idea of um, plantation crops, uh, cash crops as well. Botanical themes that aren't the usual thing that a lot of people paint or a lot of people are interested in. And um, things like tobacco. I love painting tobacco at the moment. And when I first started researching, it's like everyone knows what tobacco is. You know, it's such a big thing. Smoking, it's got this kind of negative stigma attached to it for health reasons, obviously. Um, but I'd never seen a tobacco plant. I didn't know what a tobacco plant looked like. And then I started Googling. I was like, oh, wow. And then I saw little illustrations with flowers on and stuff. And yeah, it kind of just led me on a whole a whole new path. Like as soon as, as soon as I went down that lane, I felt just doors just open up and my brain just started fine with ideas and it just kind of led from one thing to another so you applied for your grant using these ideas using this proposal for a show yeah yeah sorry i went off point then no it's okay (laughs) i don't want to come to the logistics when you obviously found an exciting creative direction yeah i think it's really i think the arts council funding is quite intimidating for lots of artists but it's such an amazing resource that it's a shame that people feel like it's close to them a lot of artists aren't very academic in terms of paperwork and filling stuff like that you know we all just want to paint really so a lot of people know what it is and like, oh I don't know and like you said it's, it's it makes it intimidating but when you actually sit down and read through it it's basically just putting your putting what's in your head onto paper there's there's people that can help with it you know I've sent out previous applications to a lot of artists to show them to give them an example of how I put mine together and what I spoke about so yeah um Prior to that, I was just starting to get into the that theme, the DNA test or that kind of plantation stuff. Um, so that was basically what my proposal was based around. I knew I had access to two gallery spaces, the gallery space here and again through my director, the Florence Trust, uh, which was kind of linked to the residency. It all, mm-hmm. it all became one in the end. It is harder to get the Arts Council funded in London because basically each area has a, a budget they they have to spend. So the East Midlands has X amount, West Midlands, London. So obviously it's a lot more competitive in London, but Leicester, there's less artists. So, you know, you have a fairly high chance of getting, if you've already proven yourself, if you're already a practicing artist, you've done shows, they can trust that you can deliver a project. You know, you can't just graduate and then get 10 grand's worth of funding for an idea. You know, it doesn't work like that. So I was lucky that I'd already had plenty of exhibitions and projects I'd done so I could prove that I was focused and professional about it all but yeah you know you don't always get it I've been turned down before they sometimes give you feedback but you know you can just adjust it and put it back in again yes because it's a rolling application isn't yeah it? so you yeah. just keep keep trying and I was watching the video that accompanied your exhibition for one of the shows I think and that's an amazing piece of content as well for you as an artist yeah that was the potassium one right? yeah, that was the, oh, yeah that was the potassium <clears throat> yeah with the fire yeah. extinguisher so it was very it was it's a great video to have yeah the potassium exhibition that was before the plantation one that was but it was still during covid so we had a we'd taken a new extension to the studio um, so we had this big empty space and the director again he's very supportive if you work hard and you prove what you're doing he'll help you out wherever he can and uh, he had this big empty space. And he said to a few of us, does anyone want to do a short-term project in this space? You know, whatever you want. Because he, again, he knows what we can do. He knows we can deliver. And um, me and another artist decided to do these three big canvases, which were 
two and a half by three meters. And this was just when I started getting into the botanical stuff, but it was fairly abstract. But this was the very first time I'd painted that big before. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to put myself under even more pressure and get someone to film the whole thing from start <laughs> to finish. No plans, no drawings, just I'm just going to start painting. And I bought all these tools. I bought mops and brooms and squeegees and a fire extinguisher filled up with paint, which again comes from my influence on the street art world. I'd seen street artists do it. And yeah, I basically just painted these three massive canvases with a a camera in my face for the whole time. <laughs> but again, that was another amazing experience. And I like to put myself under that kind of pressure where I didn't know what I was doing. I was very overwhelmed staring at three massive white canvases with no initial sketch. But that pressure led to three really nice abstract botanical kind of paintings like you said the video to see the process because it was as much about the process of me painting that big that scale with the mops you know slapping the paint on and spraying the fire extinguisher which was obviously a lot of fun and yeah I learned a lot from that and I'm still using elements of what I learned you know whether it's mark making color schemes um, tools I used airbrush you know compressors yeah that's carried on to a lot of the work well, this is a nice segue into another project I wanted to ask you about, which was the filming on the Channel 4's Flawless, where you had to paint live. Can you tell me about that project and how you found painting in front of the camera? Yeah, that was, that was very tough in terms of pressure. So Channel 4 actually approached me the year before with the pilot scheme for it, and they said, basically, we're going to pair portrait, up, portrait artists up with normal non-arty people that have some sort of disfigurement or disability and um, the idea was I'd paint their portrait live whilst we'd have a discussion like a kind of casual interview about their life and how it affected them growing up and to be honest the first year when they asked me about the pilot I turned it down because the pressure and the anxiety was just too much I was like I can't do that I can't do it <clears throat> and then they and a year later, they, they did a second season of it and they, they sent me videos of the first lot. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like the, obviously, it's Channel 4, so the quality was very high. And I was like, you know what? As much as this is going to kill me in terms of anxiety and stress, I'm just going to force myself to do it because it's going to help my, my career out. It's going to help my profile out. They came to the studio and uh, we set, set her up. And my sitter, she had, uh, she had vitiligo, uh, which is like a pigment disorder. So I'm sat there, I've kind of drawn her up and she's telling me about her life. She grew up in Pakistan and then moved to London when she was like 13 or something. And it was a really emotional story. First of all, it was the pressure of painting someone and them seeing it after. You know, that's, that's enough pressure as it is, let alone someone that's been through all the stuff that she'd been through, the bullying, discrimination from her own community as well as other communities and she's like talking about it and she's like crying halfway oh, through wow. and I'm yeah. tearing up and the team <laughs> are welling up and I'm trying to hold it together but <laughs> trying to look, you know, like an artist and keep it professional. Yeah, and I had um, one sitting to do it. She went, came back the next day, we did the unveiling and, and she loved it and I gifted her the painting. You know, we took photos and, and overall it was a great experience and, you know, it got like a million views on the Channel 4 Facebook page so a lot of people knew who I was from it, got commissions out of it, um, helped boost my name. But yeah, that was very, very intense. Well, it's a lot of pressure on you as the artist to create the work live and also respond to her 
appropriately and sympathetically, but also not lose yourself too much in the emotion. Yeah. Focus on your work. Definitely, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting sucked into the story. It's of an course. interesting story. You can make a film about it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm focusing on the pain. Like, her eyes aren't right or the mouth's not right or whatever. And I've got to finish this by tomorrow. But then also I'm, I'm thinking of questions and it's a conversation. Um, I can't just ignore her and sit there painting. But it was, again, it's one of those things that sometimes you just have to put yourselves in situations you don't particularly want to do because of nerves, lack of confidence, pressure. But I always try and look at the long game and I was like, yeah, this is, this is a nice thing to do for a start. It's a nice idea for a project. It's something different. It's going to help me, again, get my name out there. And yeah, now I'm glad I did it. Well, it's clear from this conversation that you are a very brave artist, Tim. You put yourself <laughs> under pressure in in quite different ways to really push your practice and further your career. So that's very impressive in itself. What advice would you give to an artist that's either starting out or perhaps feels that they're not sure what, what how to take the next step? I have this conversation a lot with, you know, artists in Leicester, London, anyone who... I can help out really because I've been through it all, you know, I know what it, I know how hard it is. The main advice, which is, it's not necessarily the right advice for everyone, but for me was do whatever you can, whatever opportunities come about at the start, you know, you can't, you're not going to make a living from it straight away. Get yourself a part-time job so that you don't have that pressure, but also ideally you want to get a, a job that gives you enough hours to focus. Otherwise you're too tired to, to paint. So I used to work as a teaching assistant for a, in a behavioural school for like seven years, which meant that I finished at three, I had school holidays, so I could still put a lot of time into painting. And my um, approach was pretty much to do whatever opportunity I could, you know, any little show, um, small art fairs at the start, I was doing an art fair called Art in the Pen up north, which was like a hundred pound um, little small art fair, just to get my name out there, going to shows. But also the, the main advice I give to artists, young artists, even students, is to not sit and wait for things to happen. Like you don't, you don't need a gallery to give you a show. You can, you know, you can go down the arts council funding side of things, or you can say, you know, save your money, hire out a, an empty shop, do your own pop up. Um, if you don't have much money, make a collective, chip in, hire a space out, put in your own show. Nowadays with social media, you know, it's a lot easier to be an independent artist in terms of getting your name out there and advertising your work. When I started out, you know, Facebook was around, but it wasn't really a, a tool. Instagram wasn't really a thing. So I've kind of been part of that change and seen the benefits of it. Like it can take over your life and it is a nightmare sometimes manning your social media, which I'm sure we all know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's it's a tool and it's it's using that. So my advice is just get out there and go for it. And I say this to Leicester artists especially because Leicester's not a massive arts city. And um, a lot of people, especially graduates, they think that if the work's good, people will come to you. Like mm -hmm. galleries will come and pick you up. And I'm like, it doesn't work like that. Not that early on. If you want to be in London, you've got to go to London. You've got to get out there. But also, again, if you can't, you know, hire spaces. We've just recently, as part of this studio and a part of a, a collective we started called The Leicester Contemporary, which is run by our, uh, our group called The Company of Artists. So we basically, well, Andrew Burke's another artist. He managed to get hold of a, a shop in the city centre. There's loads of shops that are empty at the moment, sitting there doing nothing. He spoke to the landlord. The landlord ended up giving him the space for free for a whole year. So we've been helping him set the space up and now we run like rolling exhibitions there for Leicester. No funding, 
we invigilate it ourselves and with volunteers. And we had Castor Projects, which is a London gallery, very respected London gallery, come up and do a takeover. Infems, which is a female art collect, international art collective. I think it was founded by Re- Rebecca Fontaine Wolf. They did a takeover last month. So it's just an example of you don't need big galleries and Charles Sarchi to come along and bite your whole collection. You know, if you if you're proactive and you you know you you got the drive, you can do things on your own. So that's why I'd say just be as independent as well as waiting for big galleries. Well, that's incredibly good advice, and you certainly deserve all the success you have, Tim. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's been a pleasure. So I didn't waffle off topic too much. <laughs> no, not at all. There's so much more we could talk about. Like, I'd love to ask. Well, maybe we'll just have to do another episode yeah, in yeah. the future. We'll come back. Second season, I'll come yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. Part two. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow Tim at Tim Fowler on Instagram and rate, review, follow, subscribe, the podcast. All of that really helps boost us in the charts. I have an extra special episode coming up next. So look out for that. And in the meantime, have a wonderful week in the studio.